Thank you for joining us on the Fort Lee Podcast. I'm your host, Jefferson Wolf. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you to please don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Fort Lee Podcast. Rate us and leave us a review. Feel free to leave us a suggestion for a guest if you'd like, if there's someone you think would be of interest to the Fort Lee community that would add to our podcast. And if you have any other suggestions like that, we'd be more than happy to take a look at them. We'll read the best ones on future podcasts, so you may get a chance to have your suggestion read on the air. This podcast... We have two good guests for you today. The first will be Guy Chastain, the Assistant Fire Chief for Fire Prevention here at Fort Lee. He's going to talk about Fire Prevention Week, which happened earlier this month, and this is also Fire Prevention Month, so we'll be talking about ways to keep your home and your area safe from fire. The second interview we'll have this time around is Tamara Johnson the Child and Youth Services Coordinator and also Acting CYS Director. And she'll be telling us a little bit about CYS, what's going on at CYS, uh, what their philosophy is, how they're handling COVID, and how to sign up for CYS services. So we hope you enjoy the two conversations we have for you today, and off we go. Welcome back to the Fort Lee Podcast. I am joined now by Guy Chastain, the Assistant Fire Chief of the Fire Prevention Division here on Fort Lee. Thank you for joining me today. Glad to be here. Um, this is Fire Prevention Month. We had Fire Prevention Week earlier in the month. So what is the uh, the theme for Fire Prevention Month this month, this year? This year, uh, National Fire Protection Association has dedicated this as um, the learn the sounds of fire safety okay. as their theme. And, and primarily they're focused on smoke alarms and carbon monoxide alarms as well. So tell me a little bit about the sounds. Uh, what should people be listening for? Okay. Basically, when you hear a sound, it, you know, they could either make two different sounds. Typically, it'll either be a beeping sound, a series of quick beeps, and that will let you know that you need to get up and take action because there's a, you know, probably either smoke or carbon monoxide in your room, and you obviously want to get out and, and to get the safety. If you hear it chirping, that's letting you know that there's a malfunction. Typically, it's the battery just needs replacing. It's something as simple as that. However, it could be something that's letting you know that the unit is malfunctioning or it's at the end of its service life and needs to be replaced. Now, talk a little bit about that service life. Smoke detectors and CO2 detectors are a little different, right? Correct. Um, For smoke detectors, the um, service life is 10 years. For carbon monoxide detectors, it's seven to 10 years, depending on the manufacturer. So you need to you know, take a look at your manufacturer data that was supplied with it will let you know. And it, whether you live on post or off post, these are all pretty consistent That's measures for all mm-hmm. these things. Why are carbon monoxide detectors important? Well, carbon monoxide detectors do that specifically. They detect carbon monoxide, which is a odorless, tasteless, colorless gas that you cannot see. And it's, it's known as basically as a silent killer. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have no idea of its presence in your home. And if it happens to be there over a certain limit, you know, it can, it can basically kill you. You know, I mean, initially you'll start having headaches, nausea, those kind of signs and symptoms. But eventually, if you get enough of it in your bloodstream, you know, you you can die from it. So it's really important to know of its presence in there. And that's what the detector is there for. It's testing the air for presence of carbon monoxide. And where does carbon monoxide come from? Typically in a home, it comes from fuel burning appliances and also the HVAC system. So if you have like a gas stove or a gas-fired um, HVAC system, a heater in your home, 
it will come from that. It could be from the flu from the, the heater system, maybe clogged up, maybe a bird put a nest in or whatever. So now uh, those those products of combustion are not going out the flu like they're supposed to. And now they, they push down and they stay inside the home and that raises the level of carbon monoxide. Now we were talking about detectors a minute ago. There are separate smoke and carbon monoxide detectors and then there's combined. What What is recommended? Actually, um, you can have a combination of either. You know, if you want to have two separate detectors and have a smoke alarm in your room and then also a carbon monoxide detector is great. Although they do make combination smoke and CO detectors and those really are actually very handy because then you only have to do one test versus a test on both separate units. And then also you only have one battery to replace. How often do you re recommend replacing the batteries? Batteries are recommended to replace um, annually. Uh, however, a lot of units that are being sold today and being manufactured come with a 10-year battery. Oh, wow. So it's actually good for the life of the unit. Holy moly, I did not know that. Mm -hmm. And we think about fires in the homes, but there's also a workplace issue. Uh, in a lot of cases, you have a lot of fire drills. People get complacent about leaving the building when they hear the alarm go off. Could you talk a little <laughs> bit about what you should do when you hear the fire alarm go off at work? Absolutely. If you have not been advised that they are working on the fire alarm systems in your building or doing any type of testing, if you hear the alarms go off, you really should treat it as a true emergency and, and, and start heading towards the nearest exit and get out of the building. You can, like I said, you can always turn around and come back and, you know, and get back to work right, sure. fairly quickly. But if it is a real emergency and you delay getting out of the building thinking that, oh, it's just another false alarm or they were testing, and a couple minutes later you see smoke coming down the hallway and realize, oh, no, this is a true emergency, it could be too late at that point. With the different age of buildings on Fort Lee, how does the fire department uh, plan for having fires or emergencies in buildings with all kinds of different systems and all kinds of different construction and so on. Okay, uh, when we go out and do our annual fire inspections um, with a fire inspector, we'll meet with a facility um, fire warden. We walk through the building on an annual basis at a minimum, go through looking at all the systems, fire protection systems, such as the sprinklers, automatic sprinklers, the automatic fire alarms. Um, whether or not they have them, need them, look at the type of construction. These are all things that we look at in addition to, you know, um, fire loading in the building, um, make sure all the exit signs are working, emergency lighting, mm -hmm. people are not blocking exits, those kind of things. And then we, we put it into a report, and then we also go back and take a look at, okay, does this building require fire protection systems? Because it will be based off of when it was originally built. What was the code at that time? What the requirements are? And so we may have some facilities here that do not have a sprinkler system that if that building were be, to be built today, brand new, would require it. We annotate that into a pre-fire plan and we wash it so as over the course of time, if we're going to do a major construction project, or remodel project on a facility, then we get involved in the planning of that and making sure that we get the fire protection systems included as part of that project. And the firefighters pretty well know the buildings here, so they know if they're going to go to a fire in this building, what they're going to have. Correct. Yeah, crews do a lot of um, base familiarization, walkthroughs of that nature, so they get familiar um, with the facilities here at Fort Lee. And like I said, we do a, a risk analysis of all the facilities here at Fort Lee and put that out. And then so they know which are high risk facilities and which are not, you know, and a lot of that will be based on type of construction, what type of fire suppression systems are in that facility and also the, the occupant load of the facility. Is it a high occupancy building or is it something like a, a warehouse where there's very few people right. in it? Even though it may be, you know, 30,000 square feet may have a very low occupant load.
when you're talking about high occupancy buildings, we have a lot of them in barracks here on Fort Lee. What should the people who live in the barracks be doing for fire prevention? Okay, for, for one, they should be, um, you know, following all of the, the rules and restrictions that we have, say, for instance, on cooking, because cooking is like the leading cause of fires in both business occupancies and also, um, you know, anything other than residential. But residential, it, 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 on a national average, 51% of fires are caused by cooking. Oh, wow. So even in the dorms, you know, I mean, here at Fort Lee, unless that dorm specifically has cooking areas for them, they're prohibited from cooking in the rooms, mm -hmm. but other than they can use a microwave or a hot air popcorn popper. Um, but they shouldn't be using any other type of cooking appliance, you know, unless there's, they have a kitchen area basically for that. That brings us back into private homes and people who live in their houses, whether it's on base or on base. So you say on base or off base, you say the most likely cause of fire or, or the place that it'll happen is in the kitchen. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, again, yeah, that's correct. Because again, you know, cooking is a leading cause of fires in all types of facilities. So obviously the kitchen is where the cooking for the most part happens. That's usually where it's going to happen. And unattended cooking is a leading cause of all cooking fires. So, and those are very preventable, you know, and that's what we try to foot stomp is let people know that if you're going to be cooking, please do not leave it unattended because it's easy to get distracted, lose track of time. And before you know it, you know, what you thought, you know, was just going to be warming something up on the stove turns up and catching your whole kitchen on fire. Right. You know, so it's really important to, um, you know, keep combustibles away from the stove. Make sure your pot handles are turned inwards, especially if you have young children, because, you know, they're curious what's going on. So they're going to come in and try to grab a hold of anything they can. So you got to watch children in the kitchen and, um, you know, just stay aware of what you're doing. If you get a phone call or get distracted, have to leave the room, remove what you have from the stove you know, turn the heat off and, or move it over to a burner that's not on and then turn the heat off and then you can always come back to it. Is it the stove that's an issue or things like toaster ovens and toasters and hot pots and, you know, maybe maybe even blenders, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically it's the heat producing appliances. Okay. So again, a microwave, if you put something in a microwave and you're supposed to only warm it up for a minute or something and you put it in there and accidentally fat finger it and put it in there for 10 minutes and then you walk out of the room, when you come back, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you might have a problem. You know, same thing with toasters, just be very careful with them, you know, um, you know when you're operating a toaster you know i would be careful about putting it underneath you know the cabinets or whatever or making sure that there's just not any you know anything that's really highly combustible right around it and again unattended cooking be watchful of it you right know. moving away from the indoor fires what's the danger on fort lee for an outdoor fire and i know there's some regulations about having campfires as well Correct. I mean, here at Fort Lee, you know, because we do have a lot of wooded areas on post, you know, so there's always a possibility of a wildland fire. Um, and, and, and so in regards to that, you know, open fires outdoors are not permitted. And, you know, now you can request, um, you know, for a special, you know, event or whatever, we may take a look at it. And the fire chief has the ultimate authority whether or not he wants to permit it. Uh, but I could say, typically speaking, we don't allow it just because the risk is not worth it. So we talked a little bit ago about kids and safety in the kitchen with kids. What can kids do to help prevent fires? And what are you guys doing to kind of give the kids that information? Since there's no schools here, a lot of times the firefighters go into the schools, but you don't have a, a school on post. So tell me a little bit about kids and, and what you tell them. Right. 
So here at Fort Lee, because we don't have schools, but we do have a lot of CDCs and a youth center. So, you know, mm -hmm. we will be going out to all of them, talking to the kids about fire safety and what they can do at their level. And primarily what we're doing is, again, this year, teaching them about the smoke alarms and, and the carbon monoxide detectors and what the sounds are. And what we're asking them to do is go back and talk to their parents and say, hey, you know, mom, dad, or do I have a smoke alarm in my room? You know, to make sure that they are being properly protected. And so that's the, probably the best thing that they can do. And then we also teach them the sounds that they're going to make and what they should do. What, you know, whether it's a beeping sound, letting them know that there's an emergency and they need to evacuate. Um, or if it's just a chirping sound, then they can report that to their parents. So then they can look at the unit and more than likely just have to replace the battery. Also talking to them also about the um, escape plans, which is really important for the kids as well to talk to their parents, to know that they're, they have a family escape plan in the event of emergency and they should practice it. You know, they should know, you know, they should have identified two ways out of every room in their home, you know, to include windows, you know, so they should work, you know, work with their parents on that and have their parents show them, hey, from this room, if I had to get, if there's a fire in the house and I can't, and I go to my door and I feel heat on the door or there's smoke coming underneath it and I know I can't go out that way into the hallway to get out like I normally would, which window in my room can I open to get out? You know, so they should discuss that with their parents, have their parents go over the plan with them and they should practice it several times a year. Also have, you know, know what number to call to report an emergency. We go over that with them as well, talk to them about where they should safely meet once they get outside of the house. So everybody knows that, hey, we're going to go over to our neighbor's house over here in an emergency. Because we may all have to evacuate from a different space in the house mm -hmm. and go out different yeah. ways. So we're not necessarily all going to get out of the house from the same room or door right. or what have you. So they need to know where to meet up with their family once they get outside. Right. So those are all the topics that we discuss here at Fort Lee with the, the kids and the CDCs and the youth center. What would you recommend for somebody that has a second floor, but maybe the stairs are blocked or the fire is in a place where they can't come back downstairs and have to go out the window? I mean, they do, you know, you can purchase um, rope ladders. Yeah. That they make specifically for that. They have the hooks on them. Oh, wow. So you can, you know, so, and, and you can show yeah. the kids how to use them or whatever. Again, it's for emergency use only. Yeah. You know, but, <laughs> you know, you can open up a window, the, the hooks reach over the edge of the, yeah. you know, the window, and you can climb out and get out to safety. Oh. It, it, you know, it's not ideal, but again, during an emergency, anything is better than having to go down towards the path of, you know, where all the, the heat and smoke is coming from. Being that we've had Fire Prevention Week and Fire Prevention Month, there's a little bit of history behind that. Could you tell us about that? Right. The NFPA, or the National Fire Protection Association, has been promoting Fire Prevention Week since 1922. And, and what it is, it's all centered around the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, which happened. And when that fire happened, it lasted approximately three days. It started on the 8th of October, and it didn't get put out until the 10th of October. It killed between 250 to 300 people. It burned over 2,000 acres, destroyed over 17,400 buildings, in the, and, um, and put over 100,000 people homeless. Wow. Yeah, it was a huge conflagration. And, you know, and so it's one of the largest devastating fires in the history of our nation at that time. So National Fire Protection Association used that event to um, promote Fire Prevention Week. So now Fire Prevention Week always falls during the first week of October that the, the 9th of October falls into. And then in 1925, President Calvin Coolidge actually signed a proclamation declaring Fire Prevention Week and is now the, the longest running public health observance in the, in the 
in the nation. How about that? That's really cool. Now, as far as you go, if people have more questions about fire prevention or have questions about their work building or home building or whatever, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, they can. Um, I'm located here at Building 3620 Fire Station 1 at the corner of CM Home Avenue, um, or they can call my office at 734-6597. That's right here directly in my office. I'll be happy to answer any questions that they have. Um, if they have any questions about Fire Prevention Week, whatever, NFPA has a website, and it's just firepreventionweek.org that they can go to, and it has a lot of information for them. Thank you very much. Do you have any last thoughts or anything we didn't talk about that you'd like to let our audience know about? I would just remind them, again, this year's you know theme is uh, learn the sounds of fire safety. Know about you know your smoke alarms and your carbon monoxide detectors. Know the sounds that they make and the actions that you take. So the two slogans that NFPA gave us this year as part of the campaign is hear a beep, get on your feet. Which basically means if your detectors make a beeping sound, that means that they're, it's detecting either you know, smoke or carbon monoxide, depending. Right. And that, that means it's an emergency situation. You need to get out and get to safety. And the other one is you hear a chirp tire detector as well. Thank you very much. That's Mr. Guy Chastain, the Assistant Fire Chief of the Fire Prevention Division here at Fort Lee. Thank you very much, and we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Fort Lee Podcast. I'm joined by Tamara Johnson, the Child and Youth Services Coordinator here at Fort Lee, and also acting uh, DFMWR Director, correct? That's correct. Well, thank you for joining us today. Um, giving us a little overview about what's going on at Child and Youth Services. So let's start off with a very broad general question. Why is CYS important? Yeah, that's a very, uh, very good question to start with because, um, you know, our mission is to ensure that our soldiers can um, respond to their uh, call of duty. Mm -hmm. um, and, and really the way that our mission reads is to reduce the conflict between mission readiness and uh, parental responsibilities of our patrons and we do that by offering quality programs and uh, accountability for their children and youth. Um, you know, what kind of wanted to add in there that military families have unique characteristics um, that impact their need for child care. And so, you know, they have um, very early hours that they might need care and they might need to stay much longer than a traditional family would need to. And so having the appropriate services available is, is of course, imperative for them to be able to respond to their, uh, to their mission um, our families uh, have a mobile lifestyle, if you will. They're constantly up and going. Families are frequently geographically separated, and, and they go through deployments and mm -hmm. things of that nature. And so, um, you know, having that stability for their children, of course, their most prized possession, their children uh, available, is, is very, very important. Um, and, in fact, when, when a soldier loses time, uh, duty time due to lack of child care, it's obviously going to have an immediate negative impact so you on guys mission are, readiness. You guys are basically an important mission enabler oh, yeah. to allow the soldiers to go do their job. Very, yeah, very much so. I mean, I would even go as far as to say that if, um, if child care wasn't there um, mm -hmm. consistently, I think it would uh, have a really, really adverse effect on our ability to keep our country safe. So could you talk a little bit about your vision, how you guys lay out going about supporting the soldiers? Sure. Um, we make sure that we have uh, seamless delivery uh, for children four weeks to 18 years old. We make sure that our services are predictable at all the facilities. We want to, of course, make sure that it's safe and healthy, right. uh, family-friendly. Uh, programs need to be well-managed. 
uh, and we want to remain the benchmark for America's uh, child care programs. And so that's kind of what our vision is uh, is uh, rooted in, and that's what we're going after every time. Okay, so another big, broad question. You have a number of services that you provide. Some people may think of off the top of their head, you know, the, the Yorktown CDC. Sure. Uh, so on and so forth. But you guys are involved in a lot more than that. Talk about your services a little oh, bit. Oh, yes, we are very much so involved in uh, in a lot more. So, of course, as you mentioned, the t- Child Development Centers, we have three full-day centers that open up at 5.15 in the morning. We close our doors at 5.30 in the afternoon. Um, our original hours were until 6 o'clock. So once we get a little bit better staffed and we're able to manage that, uh, we can go back to those original hours uh, so those kind of programs, they offer full-day care. Uh, the children, they get dropped off, and they can stay with us all day, Monday through Friday. But then we also have family child care, which is a um, form of a child development center in the home, in the in a family uh, child care provider's home. Uh, ages there start at four weeks old and go until 12. And these are all things that are certified, right? Absolutely, People. absolutely. And in fact, if you want to offer uh, child care in your home, you have to become certified uh. through Child and Youth Services. That's a requirement. Otherwise, you would be making yourself um, uh, guilty of uh, unauthorized care, which oh, is wow. what okay. we don't want to do. Right, sure. Um, we have school-age services. Okay. We offer uh, before and after care right. for our children there. Um, if there happens to be a, a school out day d- due to un- inclement weather or the school might be closed, then we offer full-day care for our school-agers. And, of course, in the summer and the springtime, we open up all day um, and we offer camps uh, so that our children have care, but they also have a fun time at the daycare. What are the ages for the school age? So school age starts at uh, kindergarten, okay. uh, and it goes all the way up to uh, fifth grade. Okay. Um, and, of course, uh, after fifth grade, we have a um, recreational program for okay. our youth uh, population. Uh, starts in sixth grade all the way up to 12th, um, and it's usually uh, after school. They come in at 2, two o'clock, and they can stay with us until six um during a uh, potential school out day or an early release they can come as early as one o'clock in the summer especially if we know that there's a, a demand and a need we offer camp uh as well starting at uh, seven or seven thirty in the morning goes all the way up until one o'clock and then afterwards um, the after school recreation program will take over um we also do sports uh okay. three to 18 years old oh, wow. uh, we okay. offer all kinds of fun stuff individual sports team sports uh, basketball, soccer, cheerleading, um, wrestling. We used to do wrestling in the past. Not sure if it will come back, um, but uh, running club, tennis, those are the type of sports that we are. Offer. Are they on a seasonal rotation yes. like you think? So what's going on for the winter? What's coming up So now? right now we're getting uh, ready for basketball if we have the approval to do that due to COVID, of course. Okay, so we're still waiting, yep. but that's what could yep. come up. For, for sure. Right. Um, and so we also... Um, right, well, right now we have fall sports going on. We have soccer going on. Mm-hmm. There's some track going on. Uh, we have some cheerleading going on, and uh, the parents are obviously very, very happy to be able to get their children <laughs> right. out on the field. So um, some other programs that uh, the community might not be familiar with, we have our school liaison services, um, which is a really, really important uh, part of our program because obviously when families are uh, coming in uh, and they need as quick as possible to be able to transition to uh, a good school system and right. getting their children enrolled and, and, and situated, and especially if, chil- if children uh, had to be uprooted in the middle of a school year, then that becomes imperative. Of course, with uh, with COVID, um, our school liaison was was very very busy, mm-hmm. sure. um, but she's uh, she's phenomenal. I mean, um, the parents are so happy after they speak with her. Um, other than that, we have our Skies program that we're looking to start back up. It's basically uh, a contracted instructional class for children uh, three to eighteen years old as well, um, and it 
basically depends on what the community would like. We've done uh, mixed martial arts in the past, oh, wow. dance, tumbling. Um, so once it uh, starts back up with all the right approvals, uh, then we'll uh, do a bit of a, um, a needs assessment and see what mm -hmm. uh, our customers might want. Uh, and then we'll find some contractors to fit that bill. Lastly, but not le uh, but certainly not least, uh, our parent central services, which is really the gateway for um, child and youth services okay. uh, when you want to get enrolled and whatnot. Um, that's kind of where you start, right. um, and that's the the first junction within CYS that our parents encounter to be able to get into programming. And that naturally leads into my next question, which was, how do you get enrolled, especially if somebody's coming from another sure. uh, installation? This time of year, there's not so much. Probably you see more in the summertime mm -hmm. or maybe right around Christmas, but, you know, it's coming up again for the Christmas season. So It is, it is. And um, a couple of years ago, um, Military Child Care, Dot com came onto the scene, which is an online uh, web-based uh, database that mm -hmm. you can, as a parent, place your child on the wait list. Uh. Um, and that's really, that's the requirement to uh, go on to militarychildcare.com and build your family prof profile in mm -hmm. there um, so that we can see what the child care needs are that you have. Um, every so often, the system will alert you to update your um, your requirements or, or your need for care. And then once a space opens up, then the Parent Central Services Department will um, contact the family. And then it kind of takes over from there. You bring in your required documentation. You come in um, and you, uh, you go through the actual enrollment process. So here at Fort Lee, who's eligible to take part in CYS? Who's eligible to enroll in your programs? Good question, yeah. Eligible patrons are uh, those uh, active duty military mm -hmm. personnel. Obviously. Obviously, <laughs> right? Um, of course, our, uh, our own caregivers who provide okay. direct, care, um, um, uh, direct care services to the family. Um, DOD so if you, if you, I'm sorry for interrupting. No, if you work at the CDC, you can have your children there with you. Yes, you can. And okay. in fact, uh, our CDC workers are um, considered highest priority, mm -hmm. uh, just so that we are able to make sure that they're in uh, in position to take care of, of, of families. Okay. Yes, DOD civilians, uh, reservists on active duty. Um, so those are pretty much your, okay. your that's the demographic uh, that's eligible for care with us. What kind of philosophy do you have at the CDCs and overall the poll program about uh, taking care of children? Well, of course, it starts with respect, right? Mm -hmm. um, our children are uh, our customers. Uh, they are the parents' most prized possession, um, and, and they're in care with us. And, and really what we do here is ensure that, you know, our children are, are taken care of with the utmost respect, with the safety and, and the, um, the care requirements uh, taken into account, uh, that they're treated appropriately, and that they learn how to treat each other appropriately, and that they learn how to be good friends uh, to other children, uh, things of that nature. And so there's a lot of, lot of training uh, involved in ensuring that our caregivers understand uh, what the appropriate way of treating a child is. Um, you know, people come from all walks of life and whatnot. And to give you a quick example, a parent might say, hey, um, if my child does X, Y, Z, go ahead and put him in timeout. Well, we have a different philosophy about timeout. Okay. It's not just putting a child in a corner and sort of forgetting about them and hoping that by the time you realize that they're in that corner, that they will have figured out what the right behavior is. No, right. it's it's a guided timeout. It's a timeout where they spend time with the caregiver, learning what the appropriate behavior is, and the caregiver then uh, guides them back into play with other children. It's not the type of timeout that we're used to from back in the day. Right. Um, but those are the type of philosophies that we have. Um, you know, we, we like to think that children, that we can redirect them just, uh, you know, with our with the tone of our voices and 
redirecting them and helping them remember what appropriate behavior is. Uh, you know, we, we stay away from, uh, you know, pulling children at their arms or making them sit down. Those are, those are big no-nos in our, in our program. Right. Okay. Um, do you have any great stories about kids that have been through some of your programs? You've been at this for a while. So tell me about some of the kids that you've seen blossom. Yeah, it's, uh, ooh, when you, when I thought about this question, um, a lot of children came to mind, but there's one that really, really sticks out. Um, we had a, uh, a team member who um, went through some pretty adverse familial situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, she was able to uh, turn that back around and, um, and, and really learn from that situation. Uh, she came to our youth center and uh, was able to, through the leadership clubs in our program, mm-hmm. um, you know, learn how to get the most potential out of her, out of her little life that she had. I mean, she was only 14 at the time. Right. Um, and so long story short, um, she went through the um, uh, leadership program called Youth of the Year, which is sponsored through uh, Boys and Girls Clubs of America. Um, all of our youth centers in the Army are affiliated with okay. BGCA, so that's kind of the, the connection there. And, uh, and we provide our BGCA clubs to our youth. And so uh, she would come to the club and, you know, really kind of blossom into her own little individuality and um, was able to make it all the way to the regional level um, oh, and, cool. and walked away with $45,000 towards her scholarship. Wow, that's cool. For college. For college, so yeah. You have, you have a kid good. that comes in at risk, works her way up, and gets that's a right. that's pretty right. hefty college scholarship. And so this is kind of uh, how we're seeing that program is just an opportunity for us to help put youth on a certain platform, right. um, you know, if that if that sort of fits their narrative and, uh, and work towards uh, some really, really cool things towards her scholarship. And the experience alone is is something out of this world. Mm-hmm. I mean, BGCA does a really, really good job in uh, providing that for our youth. Well, that's cool. Uh, moving from a teenager to maybe some of the littler kids, how do you get the little kids ready to start school? You've got preschool programs and kindergarten that's programs right. too, right? That's right. Or pre-kindergarten. Absolutely. Now, and so just uh, so everybody understands, from the moment the children come into our program, uh, they are learning all the skills uh, that they need to be successful, right? And so even as a toddler, uh, you know, a toddler is going to learn how to use utensils appropriately. And uh, just to take my own son as an example, if I, when I, whenever I would go to a birthday party, he would be the only one actually using his utensils. Oh, wow. So there you go. Right. <laughs> so it works. Um, but learn, yeah, absolutely, learning how to function in a community, in a classroom, uh, that's a pretty tough thing for, mm-hmm. for a three-year-old. Um, and so in, in, in preschool, it really starts to go towards what the skills are going to be when they go to school. So we have a pre-K readiness program called Strong Beginnings. Okay. Um, and that's where the children are really focused on kindergarten readiness. They start to learn how to read or learn how to write. They really focus on their handwriting, but also uh, soft skills uh, such as uh, learning how to stand in line in the cafeteria and, you know, getting their little tray um, as they would in a, in a cafeteria and learn how to do buffet style dining up until it's interesting. You wouldn't think that that would be a big deal, but it's something they have to learn. Absolutely. Because when they go to school and it's lunchtime, then they go to the actual cafeteria, which is a whole new experience for them. Um, getting on and off a school bus, uh, we'll teach them how to do that. Uh, kindergarten etiquette, uh, learning how to, uh, you know, uh, manage, um, you know, the attention that they might want in a classroom by raising their hand appropriately, waiting their turn, uh, things of that nature. So it's a whole program, and um, and we do finish it with a proper graduation with oh, cap and nice. gown, very and nice. uh, it's uh, it's something to be seen. It's uh, it, it, 
I never get through it without tissues because uh, <laughs> I just know how far they came. And I right. know, you know, again, taking my own son as, the, as an exper- uh, as a example, um, he grew up in, in military childcare. Mm-hmm. And to this day, he is still out reading his class and, and really comfortable in a classroom environment. And so, you know, I, I believe in the program I, uh, and I recommend it to anybody who would like to be in it. Now, moving up another level, mm-hmm. As they go to school, you guys have a school liaison officer. That's right. So could you talk a little bit about what the liaison officer does and what your relationship is with the local schools here around Fort Lee? Sure. Yeah, our school liaison officer is, a, is an integral part in our, in our program, obviously, because, you know, it's all about um, in reintegration into school, coming from a whole different school district. Um, and, and knowing that uh, that particular school district that the child might have come from might be at a whole different level, might have a whole different benchmarks, and then they come to Fort Lee, and the benchmarks might not be quite lined up. And so, you know, a school liaison officer is really helpful in making that a streamlined sort of um, journey for that parent. Uh, of course, the parent uh, is, is thinking about, uh, you know, making it to their duty, uh, and their mission, and so making sure that the child is ready to go in school is, of, of course, imperative. Right. Our school liaison officer also uh, provides all kinds of program- programming to um, uh, help our military-connected students uh, and make services available for the military community. We have a higher military community in the Prince George County School District, of course. Right. Um, she, she serves up to about six different school districts. Oh, her wow. her, her um, footprint is really large, but of course, you know, most of the students um, are at Prince George County. Um, And so, you know, making that uh, connection and building that strong relationship with the uh, leadership in Prince George County uh, School District has been very, very helpful for our parents. Um, They also do all of our school bus transportation, which is also very helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the parents can drop their children off in daycare, and they pretty much don't even have to think about it. Their child goes on the bus, goes to school, comes back to the daycare, and the parent picks up right at the daycare. So um, those are all, um, you know, really advantageous type of services for our military community. Let's talk about COVID. That's been occupying you and everybody for the last year plus. So how has COVID changed what you do and how you do it? Well, um, I almost want to answer that, but how has it not changed us? It's it's changed us in every single way. And so I'll start with with the environment. Uh, Of course, we were closed for uh, for about two and a half months back in 2020. And then we came back in June and we obviously um, had to have all kinds of uh, measures in place. So if you were to walk through the center right now, you would see that our children are still wearing masks. Mm -hmm. Children three and up, I I should say. Our, our, Our staff are still wearing masks. Uh, we still have uh, some medical screening going on. It used to be uh, a very intense medical screening mm-hmm. when we first opened with, I don't know, 25 questions before you could come, oh, wow. come in. No, I'm, I'm exaggerating yeah. a little bit, but, you know, temperature screening was uh, was involved. Right. And, uh, and you know, we went through all the symptoms. Are you sick in any way? That kind of thing. Right. So it was really, really strict. And, of course, now that we're in a, in a population where more people are vaccinated mm-hmm. and whatnot, uh, we're able to kind of, you know, move back from that, uh, but still paying attention. And, and when children are dropped off, making sure that parents understand, hey, if you're noticing some symptoms in your child, please don't bring them. Let's be you know, rather safe than sorry. And that's been working because it's been really, yeah. really quiet. That's good. It's been really quiet. And so, um, of course, from a, um, from a, a care standpoint, 
you know, we've had to make some changes. Normally, uh, we would do, for instance, family-style dining, mm -hmm. where we help the children learn how to serve themselves and learning how to pour milk into their cup and things of that right. nature. Um, but, of course, to minimize the amount of touch points that we have, we've kind of had to take that away. And so now the teachers are serving the children, right. which um, before COVID would have been considered developmentally inappropriate. <laughs> and now <laughs> we've had to make some different choices here. Um, some of the toys that we cannot sanitize, you know, mm -hmm. have to be taken out. Um, some of the soft toys had to be taken out as well. Um, we're doing a lot more laundry than we used to. It's mm -hmm. pretty much every day, every single item gets washed. Uh, whereas before COVID, uh, if it was a preschool, um, you know, we could um, wash once a week or when it, or if it was sold, whichever one came sooner. Uh, and now we're just washing every day, which mm -hmm. is, you know, taking up a lot of time, but for all the right reasons. Um, when it came to the service to the parents, uh, when we first came back, um, we did what's called a, a curbside drop-off and pick-up. Okay. Uh, we were able to um, move away from that and allow the parents to drop off in the classroom. Um, but we do work together with the parents, and the parents work very well with us as well to keep that time at a minimum in the classroom and, and maintain their social distance in the classrooms as well. Um, and if a parent would like to have uh, more time with a the teacher, then they would schedule an appointment. Um, they, they pay their bills for the most part on WebTrack, which is an okay. online system, rather than using the credit card machine uh, right. in the building. So once um, again, they don't have to come in to do that anymore. They, should, they, don't, they don't have to if they don't want to. Right. They, can, they can set it up right online. Um, we've done our uh, parent orientations uh, online, virtual. Um, we've even done our PAC meetings online, and we're starting to notice that some of these uh, adjustments that we're making, uh, you know, uh, are probably keepers. Some of the parents uh, are, are pretty happy about um, our, our parent advisory board meetings uh, being online because, you know, it's recorded and um, they can always go back to it if they uh, were not able to attend. Um, and so for that reason, a lot of our parents are uh, finding some of these adjustments actually uh, advantageous. Um, when it comes to the staff, um, you know, we've had to look into uh, a virtual way of providing them with the required training. Uh, all of our staff is required to have uh, 24 credit hours of training per year. Um, and, and in some cases, we've had to do that virtually uh, uh, okay. only because, you know, you couldn't bring a large group of people together uh, to get trained on medication administration, let's say, or on child abuse or whatnot, or child abuse prevention, I should say. Yeah. And so a lot of these training have moved onto a virtual platform that we then now access through Emerson Teams. Right. Um, and so that's been helpful. If somebody is coming to Fort Lee, planning to head to Fort Lee, and they know they're going to need your services, you kind of touched on it earlier, but could you go through the process that it takes to get signed up to be in your system? Oh, absolutely. Um, and so, again, if it's uh, child care related, um, then they would go through uh, militarychildcare.com, mm -hmm. and they would um, uh, make their needs known, they would, and they would be placed on the waiting list. And depending on how many wait lists they place them on, that's how many centers that they can be considered for. And okay. depending on what space opens up first, uh, they'll get a phone call and they finish the enrollment process um, at the Parent Central Services building. Right. Um, if it comes to, um, for instance, programs like youth, uh, they would come into Parent Central Services. They, don't, they do not need to go on the wait list for that. Ah. Um, they can just fill out a, uh, a teen registration form. Uh, if there's anything medical going on, then there's a process for that so that, they, uh, so that we can take care of them in the program, so that's kind of how that works. Um, for sports, same thing. Uh, they can either go on WebTrack, and they can uh, pick out the sport that they would like to do and pay for it okay. online, or they could come in 
Uh, a lot of parents, especially for the more popular sports, like to come in because they're afraid they're not going to get a space. Oh. Um, but, um, but yeah, so those are the options there. For Sky, same thing. Uh, they could go online on WebTrack or they could come in uh, to Parent Central Services and, uh, and get enrolled that way. So for parents who are coming in and they're getting ready to do all this stuff, you're talking about WebTrack. How do you go to WebTrack? Is there a specific website that they can go to? Yeah, there is. Um, it's called WebTrack. Okay. Uh, the spelling is W-E-B, B as in boy, T-R-A-C. Um, and what it'll do is it'll, uh, it'll pop up the, uh, the actual site and you pick up your location mm-hmm. uh, by installation. So, so you select Fort Lee. Yep, you select Fort Lee. Uh, and then once you're in, then you can go ahead and shop around for uh, okay. what it is that you that So you it's need. all right there. But yeah, you, but you do need to build your profile and all that good stuff. Um, and so if parents want some information about how they can quickly do that, they can call the Parent Central Services Department. They'll send them the information, uh, and they can get right on there. And what's the phone number? It is uh, 804-765-3852. Very good. Thank you. Um, one last question. Since you work with military kids... What is it that makes military kids different than maybe their peers out in the community who never had the opportunity to move around or, or live a lifestyle where one of the, where parents is gone sure. a lot? Yeah, and of course, you know, if you're talking to a child care professional, we're quickly going to tell you that all children are very special. Very good. But, um, you know, when it comes to military children, you know, they're the ones that experience the, the up and go, the the leaving your, um, your, your place that you've called home for the last two, mm-hmm. three years. Um, they, they go to more schools than any, anybody else. They move more than anybody else. Um, you know, they go through, you know, what most may not see as a, as a big deal. Um, but the transitions for, for our kids are, can, can, can get pretty intense. Uh, imagine being on the starting five on your basketball team. You finally made it into the, the school team and now you're moving and you're going to a school where their basketball season has already started. So right. you don't even have a chance to get on. And, so, you know, for, for some kids, that, that can hit them pretty hard. Yeah, sure. Um, building new relationships. Even as adults, we know how hard that can be to step up to somebody and introduce yourself and build right. a new relationship and whatnot. You know, so our kids go through the same thing, um, you know, and just having to constantly transition. Um, but I think, you know, for the most part, um, you know, seeing your parents uh, potentially deploy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some cases, I've seen both parents deploy at the same time. Yeah. Um, and just having having that that element in your life, not knowing whether your parents are going to make it back on time or make it back in one piece, um, you know, it's or make it back alive, you right. know what I mean? And that's uh, serious. That is serious. And that's serious. And I've seen, you know, children go through that, that turmoil, uh, waiting for their parents to redeploy, and then deployments are being extended. You know, those are the kind of things that um, you know traditional families probably don't don't go through and don't think about. Uh, but that's what makes military youth uh, so so unique. It also makes them more resilient uh, right. than any other population that I know among the children. You know, because they've had to deal with all these types of uh, challenges that come their way. Um, they're more resilient. They're more tolerant. They're they're versatile, you know, which, which are qualities that will help them when they become adults of their own and they become part of society. Um, but, but those are definitely challenges that they have to contend with as they're growing up. Well, thank you very much. That was a great uh, conversation. Uh, that was Tamara Johnson, the Child and Youth Services Coordinator here at Fort Lee, also acting DFMWR Director. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed talking with you today. And thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
Thank you for listening to the Fort Lee podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the conversations we had, and we hope to have many more. So feel free to subscribe, like, and comment wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time.